0: reading tonight comes from Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 to 12, and then we'll skip down 42 to the end. Abraham was now old, getting on in years, and the Lord had blessed him in everything. Abraham said to his servant, the elder of his household who managed all he owned, place your hand under my thigh, and I will have you swear by the Lord, God of heaven and God of earth that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I live but will go to my land but will go to my land and my family to take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, Suppose the woman is unwilling to follow me to this land, should I have your son go back to the land you came from? Abraham answered him, Make sure that you don't take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from my native land, who spoke to me and swore to me, I will give this land to your offspring. He will send his angel before you, and you can take a wife for my son from there. If the woman is unwilling to follow you, then you are free from this oath to me, but don't let my son go back there. So the servant placed his hand under his master Abraham's thigh and swore an oath to him concerning this matter. The servant took ten of his master's camels and departed with all kinds of his master's goods in hand. Then he sat out for Nahor's town, Aram Naharain. He made the camels kneel beside a well of water outside the town at evening. This was the time when the women went out to draw water. Lord, God of my master Abraham, he prayed, give me success today and show kindness to my master Abraham. I am standing here at the spring where the daughters of the men of the town are coming out to draw water. Let the girl to whom I say, please lower your water jug so that I may have a drink, and who responds, drink, and I'll water your camels also. Let her be the one you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. Today when I came to the spring, I prayed. Lord, God of my master Abraham, if only you will make my journey successful. I am standing here at a spring. Let the virgin who comes out to draw water, and I say to her, please let me drink a little water from your jug. And who responds to me, drink, and I'll draw water for your camels also. Let her be the woman the Lord has appointed for my master's son. Before I had finished praying silently, There was Rebekah, coming with her jug on her shoulder, and she went down to the spring and drew water. So I said to her, "'Please let me have a drink.' She quickly lowered her jug from her shoulder and said, "'Drink, and I'll water your camels also.' So I drank, and she also watered the camels. Then I asked her, "'Whose daughter are you?' She responded, "'The daughter of Bethuel, son of Nahor, "'whom Milcah bore to him.' So I put the ring on her nose and the bracelets on her wrists. Then I bowed down, worshipped the Lord, and praised the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who guided me on the right way to take the granddaughter of my master's brother for his son. Now, if you are going to show kindness and faithfulness to my master, tell me. If not, tell me, and I will go elsewhere. Laban and Bethuel answered, This is from the Lord. We have no choice in the matter. Rebecca is here in front of you take her and go and let her be a wife for your master's son just as the lord has spoken when abraham's servants heard their words he bowed down to the ground before the lord then he brought out objects of silver and gold and garments and and gave them to rebecca he also gave precious gifts to her brother and mother then he and the men with him ate and drank and spent the night when they got up in the morning he said send me to my master but her brother and mother said Let the girl stay with us for about ten days, then she can go. But he responded to them, Do not delay me, since the Lord has made my journey a success. Send me away so that I may go to my master. So they said, Let's call the girl and ask her opinion. They called Rebecca and said to her, Will you go with this man? She replied, I will go. So they sent away their sister, Rebekah, with the one who had nursed and raised her and and Abraham's servants and his men. They blessed Rebekah, saying to her, Our sister, may you become thousands upon ten thousands. May your offspring possess the gates of their enemies. Then Rebekah and her female servants got up, mounted the camels, and followed the men. So the servant took Rebekah and left. Now Isaac was returning from Beelaharoi, for he was living in the Negev region. "'In the early evening, Isaac went out to walk in the field, "'and looking up, he saw camels coming. "'Rebecca looked up, and when she saw Isaac, "'she got down from her camel and asked the servant, "'Who is that man in the field coming to meet us?' "'The servant answered, "'It is my master.' "'So she took her veil and covered her face. "'Then the servant told Isaac everything he had done, "'and Isaac brought her into the tent of his mother Sarah "'and took Rebecca to be his wife. "'Isaac loved her.' And he was confident after his mother's death. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God. I reckon we should give Jess a round of applause for such a long reading and reading so well. Thanks, Jess. Uh, it is the longest chapter in Genesis. It's the first romantic love story in the Bible. But what do you do with it? What are you supposed to do with that chapter? It's a bizarre chapter, isn't it? About Arranged marriages and these wretched camels. Here's what you don't do with this chapter this chapter is not a blueprint on how to find the perfect wife. Lay down your fleece, say to God, uh, I'm going to walk into a bar in Crow's Nest. She must be wearing a blue dress, she must be drinking a Merlot, and when I meet her, she must offer to feed my cats. You do not apply the Bible like that. This is a wrong application as well. This this is is something I read in a sermon from a different church on this on this very chapter. This is not God's blueprint on how He's going to guide you in life. This preacher told a story, a true story, apparently of an air hostess who was visiting Lake Louise in Canada. She fell in love with the place, beautiful mountains, beautiful lake, and she fell in love with a beautiful man. And the man lived in a log cabin on Lake Louise. That had a whirlwind romance. Uh, he proposed to her at the end of the week, and she said, no, 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 it's too quick, I need to seek God's guidance. On the plane on the way home, she's in the bathroom, and the turbulence hits. And you know in the bathroom, that light comes on. And it says, go back to the cabin. And she thinks, that's the voice of God. I'm supposed to marry that man. So she goes back to Canada and she marries him. This is not a chapter on God's guidance. It's not a chapter on how to find your perfect spouse. So what do you do with it? Let me ask you, have you ever had one of those it just so happened moments? just so happened that you missed the train that morning and you bumped into the businessman who just so happened to offer you the perfect job it just so happened that you were sick in bed for the day uh, when the phone rang to tell you some dreadful news it just so happened uh, that you bumped into the friend in chats with that you've been praying about, that you hadn't seen for six months. You just so happened to bump into them. It just so happened that you had a car accident and you ran into the back of somebody and you ended up having an amazing gospel conversation with that person. It just so happened. Do you ever have those moments? If you're a Christian here tonight, if you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour, you never have. It just so happened moments, do you? Because you believe in a God who is over all things and behind all things and in front of all things and in all things. A God who orchestrates all things, whose hand is over everything. It's called the doctrine of God's providence. He knows everything, he's in control of everything, and he orders and guides your life. And I know the doctrine of God's providence is paralyzing to some, and some people don't like it. you feel trapped by it, and inhibited by it, it's supposed to be liberating. That your lives are in the hands of a God who knows you intimately, who is able, who is good, who is kind. Someone said, the doctrine of God's providence is the most firmly established and most consoling of the truths of the Bible. Because nothing happens to us in life unless our good God wills it to happen. So nothing happens by luck, or by chance, or by good fortune, or by accident, or by fate. Everything happens because God is over it, and behind it, and in it. And I think that's a big idea of Genesis chapter 24 it just so happened that abraham wanted a wife for his son isaac and it just so happened that the servant happened to go to the right town it just so happened he went to the well at the right time of night it just so happened that rebecca had happened to be there it just so happened that she she heard her his request for water it just so happened that she watered the camels it just so happened that laban rebecca's sister let Here, go off with this random bloke into a different country, and it just so happened that Rebecca said yes, and it just so happened that Isaac fell in love with her. It just so happened. Do you see God's hand over everything? And in everything? It's a beautiful truth. Let's get the context right. Genesis chapter 23, Sarah lived 127 years, and then she died in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her because he loved her. Sarah is a great model of faith. A woman who went to her death trusting in God's goodness and his promises. Uh, And Abraham in chapter 23 is determined to bury his wife in the land. And so at a great expense and great effort he buys a plot of land and he buries his beloved Sarah there. Why would he do that? Remember the promises to Abraham: a people, a land, and a blessing. He wants Sarah to be in the land even when she dies. And then you reach chapter twenty-four, and Abraham was now old and getting on in years. Isn't that a great phrase? He's one hundred and forty. I think I'm getting on in years. And I'm forty-four. He's very old, and the Lord has blessed him in everything. So he's been blessed. He's got a bit of the land, but what hasn't he got yet? the people, it's just him and Isaac. And you imagine that Abraham looks at his son Isaac and he thinks, oh Isaac, what's wrong with you? You're 40 and you're single. You're handsome. You're not socially awkward. Why can't you find a wife? Is that what he's thinking? Is he thinking poor Isaac, if he spent all the rest of his days single, he'll be lonely. Is he thinking, if he doesn't get married, if he never gets married, his life will be second rate? Is that what he's thinking? Of course not. The Bible upholds singleness as a good gift from God. So why is he so obsessed to find a wife for his son? Because he's a man who lives by God's promises. He's not thinking about marriage, he's thinking about God's promises. What were God's promises? A people, a nation. But if Abraham dies and Isaac is still single, if Isaac never gets married, there's no kids. So that's the end of the promise. That's why he wants to find a wife. And so Abraham in verse 2, he calls his servant, who I think is Eliezer of Damascus. He's the man we met in chapter 15, the one who would inherit everything if Isaac hadn't been born. There's a bizarre oath in verse 2. Place your hand under my thigh, he says. Literally that verse says, place your hand under my genitals. But let's not think about that. Place your hand under my genitals, and I'm not going to cut my hand anymore. "and, And I will swear by the Lord God of heaven and earth that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughter of the Canaanites. So Isaac needs the wife but she cannot be a Canaanite because they're not suitable. And we say, Lord, why are you limiting the field? Look around, there's so many nice, kind, beautiful women around here. Okay, they don't share the same faith, but that's okay, isn't it, God? And God says, no. She can't be a Canaanite because they don't worship the same God. Any wife of my son must walk with the Lord. Okay, the servant says, "Um, I'll go to the land, but verse 5, suppose the woman's not willing to follow me. Should I have your son go back to the land you came from? No, 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 he says. Don't take my son back there. We belong to this land. And that's the logic of this chapter, that for God's promises to be fulfilled, Isaac needs a wife. And she cannot be a Canaanite. It's got to be from the line of Abraham. The thing I love about this chapter There's nothing miraculous here, is there? This is not a story about God opening barren wombs. It's not a story about God dividing these rivers. It's not a story about far from heaven or firstborn being passed over. It's a story of an ordinary woman arriving at an ordinary well at exactly the right time and having the right conversations, having a life turned around because that is God's hand over every little detail. And that's my life and that's your life, isn't it? Little mundane events that God's got his hand over. Chance meetings tomorrow. That near miss. That tragedy. All under the hands of a God who rules everything and knows everything and sees everything. That's why this chapter is so beautiful. But just because God is in control doesn't mean that we don't do anything. So verse 10 the servant took ten of his master's camels. Camels were very rare. Abraham has ten of them. He's very wealthy. And the servant departs with a kind of dowry. Now where is he going to go? Here's a lesson for you. Just because God is in control, he still gives, gives us a brain. doesn't need to make wise choices. Where is he going to go to find a wife? the servant does not go to the most convenient town he doesn't go to the first town he comes to and says i am the servant of a rich and wealthy man he's got one son who's going to inherit everything and he's eligible and he's single and we're going to have a competition in this town called the bachelor so bring out your women i've got one rose and who is going to win he doesn't do that what does he do He goes to the place where he knows that Abraham's relatives live. He sets out for Nahor's town. Because we're told at the end of chapter 22, that's where the relatives were from. He goes to the well in verse 11. Because he knows at the well, that's a place where the women gather. Let me just stop there. God, God, God does give us a brain to make wise choices. You know, often, I talk to single people who are eager to be married, but they keep going to all the wrong places, and the nightclubs and the bars, and then they, they get into a mess in this relationship and thinking, how did that happen? I think because you made a dumb choice. Keep meeting married people who want to have better marriages, but then they make dumb choices about being away from home for three weeks on a business trip and never making time to be with their spouse. Just because God's in control of everything, you've got to brave so make wise choices. And then what does the servant do? If God is in control, what are we supposed to do? Look at verse 12. He, what does he do in verse 12? Can you tell me? He, he prayed. Isn't that bizarre? God's in control of everything, so he gets on his knees and he prays. People say, why bother praying if God's in control? I want to say, why would you bother praying if God wasn't in control? Or I want to say to people, why would you not talk to the God who is in control of everything? That's what the servant does. He talks to God. Lord, God and my master Abraham, he prayed, you're in control of all things, so please give me success today. Please show kindness to my master Abraham. Please show me who is to be the wife. Maybe you need to learn that simple truth tonight. Because God is in control, you must pray. Stop being proud. Stop being self-reliant. And start praying. You've got a Father who knows you, who hears you, and is able to act. And then the servant makes another wise decision. He uses his brain again. How is he going to work out who is the right woman? Here's the problem. If he's standing at the well, and there's all these women coming towards him, what could he do? He could do what the rest of the world does. He could just judge the exterior. She looks right. She's the right height, the right color hair. She's beautiful. And just judge on the externals. Is that what he should do? What is more important than the externals? Whether you're male or female, what's more important? Your, Your character? Your heart? He's a wise servant in verses 13 and 14. He says, verse 14, Let the girl to whom I say... Please lower your water jug so I may drink. And who responds, Drink and I'll water your camels also. Let her be the one. He's saying there, I don't just want to judge on the externals. I want to find out what her character's like. So here's a simple test. I want a woman who will be kind and selfless and other person-centered and generous. And just so you understand the test, A camel will drink about 25 gallons of water. Her jug would hold three gallons of water. There are ten camels. She's got to go to the well about a hundred times to feed these wretched camels. That's two hours of sweaty labor. That's the kind of woman who's going to be a wife for Isaac. I love verse 15. Before he had finished literally praying, before he'd finished praying, there was Rebecca. Before he'd finished praying to his God, God had already answered his prayer. See how that happens? Rebecca must have left her house with her water jar either before he prayed or whilst he was praying because God knew that she was the one who was going to answer that prayer. just imagine you were Rebecca. Every day you left the house at the same time, but this was the day that God was going to change your life. She left a single woman. She returned betrothed. That's life, isn't it? You know, there's things that happen tomorrow that could take your life on a totally different path and one you never expected. I often use the example that in God's kindness... He just shows us the next thing that's going to happen. It's like you've got a curtain in front of you. And that's God's kindness because if he showed you all the, all the twists and turns and the valleys and the highs you're going to go to for the next 10 years, you'd sit there, you'd be paralyzed saying, God, I can't do that. But in his kind, he shows you the next step and the next step and the next step. But He's in control of everything. And it just so happens, verse 15, that she's of the right family. She's the great niece of Abraham. It just so happens in verse 16 that she's a young woman of marriageable age who had not known a man intimately. She's still a virgin. She's the one. It just so happens, verse 16, that when she comes to the spring, she filled her jug, and it just so happened that the servant spoke to her, and it just so happened that she replied, Drink, my lord. And verse 18 is an amazing point of tension, because she's offered the servant a drink. And if you're going to film this for Hollywood, you have an ad break at this point. You're thinking, what about the camels? What about these wretched camels? Verse 18. She lowered her jug to her hand, gave him a drink, and when she would finished giving him a drink, she said, I'll also water your camels. Bingo! This is the one. Tick. And this beautiful woman, this selfless woman, spends two hours of hard, sweaty labor feeding these wretched camels whilst the servant stands there watching. And I wonder whether she thought, what a rude little man you are. Verse 22, she's adorned with gold on her wrists. And then he asks her, verse 23, he still doesn't know who she is. Whose daughter are you? Could you possibly be related to Abraham? Verse 24, I am the daughter of Bethuel. The answer's perfect, isn't it? So that's it, is it? Isn't God good Everything just fits into place nicely. So, what does the servant do? Jumping down, patting himself on the back, saying, Wow, what an amazing person I am. What's the right response? Look at verse 26. Then the man bowed down and he worshipped the Lord. And said, praise the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not withheld his kindness and faithfulness from my master. Praise God. Thank you, God, for your good guiding hand. Praise you, God, that you orchestrated all these amazing events. It was like a needle in a haystack, but you just did it all. Thank you, God. And perhaps that's a lesson for you here tonight. Maybe you're quick to pray, but you're slow to praise. When everything falls into place, you forget to give him the glory. I've tried to do that just constantly this week. for All those just-so-happened moments. I had a just-so-happened moment at the station on Tuesday, a conversation I never expected to have. Let's thank God for it. I had a just-so-happened moment on Thursday when I looked at my diary in the morning. I'm thinking I've got back-to-back meetings all day how on earth am I going to find time to write a sermon? And then my 10 o'clock meeting was cancelled and my 11 o'clock meeting was cancelled and I was praising God for it. At time to spend time in the Word. Got home and Rachel and I had just 10 minutes, just 10 minutes before the kids went to bed where the kids played nicely without screaming at each other and we could sit down and talk to each other and I thank God for that moment. Did you get it? God is in control of your life, so they give him the glory. Read a poem by Corrie Boom. It's called Life is But a Weaving. My life is but a weaving between my God and me. I cannot choose the colours. He weaveth steadily. Oft times he weaveth sorrow, and I in foolish pride forget he sees the upper and I the underside. Not till the loom is silent and the shuttle cease to fly will God unroll the canvas and reveal the reason why. The dark threads are as needful in the weaver's skillful hand as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern that God has planned. He knows, he loves, he cares. Nothing this truth can dim. He gives the very best to those who leave the choice to him. Is that how you see your life? as a tapestry. God sees the big picture. God sees the upper size, but you're often left with a mess of the underside. But he is in control. He is sovereign. And then the whole story is repeated again in verses 28 to 51. And this time it's all about persuading the family it's a good match. You meet a new character called Laban. He's not a nice guy. You see that in verse 30. He loves money. He sees the ring, he sees the bracelets on his sister's wrist, and he's thinking, "Kaching dollar signs, this could be the way to get rich." But you know what? God's even even in control of those dodgy characters in the Bible. He uses them as part of His good story. Uh, verse fifty, Laban says, "This is from the Lord. Rebecca's here in front of you. Take her and go. Let her be a wife for your master's son." And again, the servant praises God in verse 52. But the key moment, I think, is verse 57. So they've met each other. She's a good fit, she's a good match. Uh, the family have said she can go, but she took on a voice, hasn't she? They said, "Let's call the girl and ask her opinion." And they called Rebecca and said to her, "Will you go with this man?" Now, how are you feeling at this moment in the story? Everything has fallen into place. The right family, the right age. She's a virgin. She's from the right place. Her, her family has said, you can go. And you're sitting there saying, will you go with this man? Anxious, nervous. What if Rebecca said no? What if Rebecca said, I don't want to marry this man i never met before? If I was a servant at that point, I would would think, God, what are you doing? You're dangling all this stuff in front of my face and you seem to be opening all these doors, but then so you slam the door in my face. That happens a lot in life, doesn't it? God seems to open one door after another door after another door and then suddenly he slams it in your face. And at those moments, my knee-jerk reaction is to be angry with God. Why? Why? Thankfully I'm married to a woman who has an extraordinary trust in God's goodness and sovereignty and will say, God, Paul's in control. I find that irritating at times. (laughs) I want to go, but But we've got a high view of God's providence. He is in control. There's a guy at our 945 church who's been looking for a job for the last, what, six months? And for the last... Almost three months, this, this perfect job seems to be on his plate. Interview after interview after interview, doors are opening, doors are opening, green light, green light, green light. And on Monday, he gets a phone call to say, "You did not get the job." You are a second choice." And I, I, I spoke to him on Tuesday. I said, "I'm disappointed." But you know, I prayed about it and God's in control of it so I have peace about it. That's extraordinary, isn't it? It's a man who trusts in God's providence. But Rebecca does say yes in verse 58. I'll go, she says. And so like Abraham before her, she leaves her family and goes to the place that God will show her. She receives a blessing and that's the end of the story, isn't it? The heir has found a wife. But who haven't we met in the story yet? We haven't met Isaac yet. We've got a wife for him, but he has never met her. So Isaac was returning from Roy in verse 62, and in the early evening, Isaac went out to walk in the field, as he probably did every night, thinking, when is his servant going to return? Will they have found a wife for me? And looking up this day, he sees the camels. There they are again, the camels. And Rebecca looks up, and when she saw Isaac, she got down from her camel and said, Who is that man? And you're supposed to read that verse with, uh, with a kind of, He's a bit of all right. Who is that man? He's a good looker. And the servant answered, It's my master. It's Isaac. Wow, she says. So she gets dressed as a bride. She puts on her veil. And then they fall in love and then they get married. Is that what happens? Read your Bibles. Verse 67, they get married and then verse 67, they fall in love. I love this story because it's just so ordinary. Ordinary people living ordinary lives but God's hand is in all the details of their life. And I hope you've had that experience where it just so happened where you've given the glory to God. Uh, for ten years before I got married, people tried to set me up on almost a weekly basis, and I said no to almost every. Well, I said no to every single setup for ten years. And then someone said, "Would you like to come down to Barrel and have lunch with this widow with a?" four-year-old child, and for some bizarre reason, I said yes, and I have no idea why I said yes. I was running around the harbour, the morning I was about to meet Rachel, thinking, what am I doing? But God's hand was on that. I remember 14 years ago, saying no to a good job at a good church in Brighton in the UK. And everyone said, What are you doing, Paul? It's a great job in the great church, but I just had no peace about it. And then three days later, just three days later, got a random phone call from the other side of the world offered me a job at a church in Sydney. And here I am fourteen years later. I remember when I first became a, a Christian, I was invited to be a leader on a youth camp in the U- UK. And then I was uninvited. I got a phone call to say that I hadn't gone to a posh school and this camp was for posh kids only, so I was I was not suitable to be a leader. And I was offended by that. But you know what? I was invited to be a leader at a camp for state school kids. And at that camp I met two guys who really discipled me and mentored me for the next ten years. And that was God's hand. And I'm sure you can look at your life and just see God's guiding hand at different moments in your life. You can spot the big things. And my challenge to you tonight is do you recognize the small things? Every detail of every moment of every day is in His hands. He counts every hair on your head, He knows when a sparrow falls from the sky. That's the kind of God that you worship. So please get rid of that it-just-so-happened language. Please get rid of this fate or coincidence. And start talking about God's providence. And when you start trusting Him, that famous verse in the Bible, Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him because he is sovereign. He is in control. And he'll make your path straight. Not necessarily easy, but he will guide your path. Now why is he worth trusting? Because he's shown himself to be faithful, hasn't he? God has never made one promise that he's never kept, never never failed to keep. It just so happened that a a baby was born in a backwater town in Bethlehem. It just so happened in the age of high infant mortality, this baby survived. It just so happened that this baby grew up and was allowed to teach and preach. It just so happened that when he was accused, uh, and when he was tied to a post and flogged, it just so happened that he didn't die. It just so happened that he carried his own cross to Calvary. It just so happened that he took the sins of of the whole world on his shoulders. No. Nothing ever just so happened. It's God's good guiding hand. And if you believe that, that your God loves you, he's died for you, he's worth trusting in, it just changes your everyday, doesn't it? I do not know what's going to happen to my life tomorrow, nor do you, but I know God's hand is on it. And so he's worth trusting. Let me pray. Father God, thank you that you always keep your promises, that you're all-powerful, you're all-knowing, you are good and you're kind and you're faithful. Father, we praise you that our lives are in your hands and not anybody else's hands. Uh, Forgive us for times when we don't trust you. Forgive us for times when we don't praise you for your goodness or don't pray to you. Forgive us for times we make dumb and stupid choices. Lord, help us to go into this week delighting and confident in your providence. You are behind all things, you are in front of all things, you are in all things and you are over all things and for that we praise you and we thank you. In Jesus' name.